This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to cutting through all the confusing marketing BS so you can actually understand how to take action and change your business today. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to successfully vet a marketing agency. Now, this could be any type of branding and marketing agency from a strategy-based agency to digital to social to creative, consumer research, website development, SEO, you name it. Now, of course, there's a very interesting dynamic here, which is that Forthright People is itself a branding and marketing agency. But even more interesting is, of course, that I come from the corporate world where I was doing a lot of vetting and hiring. And April came from the agency side, which she was being vetted and hired frequently. So you're going to hear all sides of this topic. Yes. And before we jump into it, the reason we want to cover this is because there's a lot of scammers out there. And honestly, it does pain us when we see businesses who have been the subject of these. It also gives marketing agencies a bad name, which makes it harder for those of us who are legit to persevere and be able to do the work we love to do. So hopefully, yes, this will, of course, help from both sides of the agency corporate fence, which we talk about often. But when we were having this discussion and Anne brought up this lens of the conversation, I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about it like that. But I think this will really help you to start to discern what makes a good agency and what makes one that really doesn't have the chops. Yep. And what's actually going to make this even more interesting is that you're going to hear both of our POVs when it comes to this. So you're going to hear Anne's side and April's side. So you're going to get the corporate view and the agency view. So this could be very, very interesting. So with all of that, let's jump into how to successfully vet our marketing agency. All right. The first thing is you need to be more concerned with the how they work versus who they have worked with. Okay. Now, we all tend to get sucked in by the list of clients that agencies put on their websites, right? It's like the sparkly piece of like, hey, we worked with this big client and we've worked with that big client. What I'm here to tell you is that agencies have a tendency to exaggerate this list. <laughs> that's that's not untrue. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this to be true, so I'm glad you admitted, April, because I've encountered several agencies who said they worked on a Thai business. I'm like, oh, really? What did you do? I've been on Thai business for seven years. I'm like, uh, well, then you come to find out that they actually had someone in the agency at some point had done something on some project that was somehow connected to Thai. Oh. And you're like, oh, busted. You're totally, totally busted. That all being said, what I was way, way, way more concerned about was their process. So things like, do they appreciate collaboration across functions? I came from the PR side, so I wanted to make sure that PR in the branding and marketing were all seen as a collaborative agency uh, function working together, right? So that was really, really important. Other thing is, do they take initiative like owners of the brand? That was going to be a really big one for me, too, because I wanted them to work as extensions of me and not have to be having everything spoon fed to them. Do they share even if not fully baked so they can get feedback? That was another really big issue is that they would go off into what seemed like a hole. They would do their thing and then they would come back and be like, here it is. I'm like, um, OK, it's been two weeks and we haven't had any communication on this. And this is probably a lot of times like way off. So that was the important things for me when I was looking and vetting an agency. Now, your list may be different, and that's really just depends on what's really important to you. But the point is, is to have criteria for evaluating type of work style is going to be the most conducive to delivering against your objectives. Yes, and going back to the quilt, as we called it in the agency world, mm. that that logo farm, another term. Um, <laughs> that I've we used would, that before. I like that. The logo that we farm. would put out there. Um, honestly, that was a big pet peeve, even for me being on the agency side, because what I didn't like, and this is my perspective on it, is when the client would ask for experience in the same category on competitors, and that became a criteria by which to decide if you were even in the running. Mm. And I found that so annoying because I was like, that just is so counterintuitive to the way I would look at it, which is exactly what Anne's talking about in this point, which is how do you do the work 
And right alongside of it, how you do the work shows whether you can do the work. And so the quilt just never really made a lot of sense. And I would, I, I just remember every time I would be building one of these new business presentations, which was a lot as I started to go through my career, and I would have to put that slide. And toward the end, I would fight tooth and nail. Like, do we really have to have this? But that was kind of the reason why is because it would be like, check, you have the chops, you've worked on big brands, or check, you've worked on ones in our industry. So... Anyway, I like this point because it encourages the opposite of that. And I would say that from my perspective, I sort of am already alluding to it by my compliment of this this comment. It, it's the same for us, right? So it's important for the agency side to also know how you work and to really assess that and, and for there to be transparency around that. Because... I've referenced this before about Proctor work, and I actually offended someone the other day on a panel because they worked there, and I, I didn't Oopsie. know, and I, <laughs> I gave this perspective. But Proctor and others, they are not alone, are known for thinking that they know it all, and especially when it mm-hmm. comes to the agency's work. And so this always was really disheartening for me and others on the team, because when we would get assigned this work, it was like with a big sigh, like, all right, well, now what? You know, how are we going to be, what are we going to be met with resistance on this time? And And then the other part of it was... We would a lot of times get this sort of bait and switch where we would get a, a, an ex, a proctor project and it would be like, but no, 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 it is not going to be the way you're used to. They really, really want these big creative ideas. And I feel <laughs> yeah, like, right. <laughs> I, well, and, you know, the team would get excited and over time you become really jaded. Right. But we'd be like, OK, yes, this is our chance. And then we give the presentation and it would be like those are great ideas. We can't do any of them. And here's why. And then we would end up back with whatever the brief said they just needed. And and that was that and call it a day. And so I think that's also that speaks to the process side of things, because it's like, if you ask us to do, go and do that, that takes a lot of energy and effort. If that's really, truly part of your process and what you want to do, great. We are on board all day. But if it's not, please be honest. Yeah, I, I, I can I'd like to say that never happens, but it happened all the time. And that's because, you know, we always wanted to be creative and we wanted the big ideas, truly honestly. But with such big brands and the weight of such big brands, it was really hard to have the flexibility to um to accommodate them. Um, not that that's an excuse, but it is kind of an excuse. Um, but I also think, you know, back to the point you were making about having the chops to do the work no matter the the brand or the business and not having that be like the qualifier is we get challenged about that a lot too. It's like, well, have you done work in the manufacturing industry? It's like, well, yeah, we have done some. Well, you've done exactly this kind of work in the manufacturing industry. I'm like, we don't need to do that kind of work in the in manufacturing industry. And the reason why is because branding and marketing is a philosophy. Yes. The philosophy works across industry. Really ours too? Yes, yours too. Like uh-huh. the, the inputs are different. And we have to understand some nuances, but the philosophy is the same, you yep. know? And so that is like what you're looking for in here. And it's understanding how they think, how they do their work, how they're processing through the client and um, the agency relationship, all of those being really critically important in this piece versus, oh, you worked with this, you know, business and this brand and this industry. So therefore you have like the chops to work on mine. Yep, Absolutely. The second point to successfully vetting a marketing agency is make sure they clearly identify a team and then ask for credentials. And this is especially important if you're going to be a small client because it isn't unusual for agencies to bring the A team to woo you and then switch to the C team in execution, especially if they don't think you're going to be the big ticket item. Also, unfortunately, true. Okay, thank you. I'm, I'm just so glad that you're admitting this. This is I mean, really therapeutic. I'm nothing if not forthright. <laughs> That's right. Thank you. (laughs) But I will qualify that in saying that in honesty, you know, the C team may just be fine for what you need. Yeah. Really, really. But you want to be able to weigh in on your team. okay? And so you don't want it to be dictated for you or in essence, them tell you you're going to have this like big team and they're really not going to put that to you in execution. So, for example, if you're looking for social strategy and execution, like a newbie just out of college may be a perfect fit, especially if you're doing something like TikTok, you know, so 
they tend to be cheaper. They might be more versed in the, the channel that you're interested in. So that might be just fine. The point is, is that you want to make sure that you are getting the right people. And in order to do that, you need to actually think about who the right people are in order to get the work done. So it may not be in the context of a function like an agency would describe their person, but you might say, I need somebody that really understands TikTok. Like if I'm going to do a TikTok execution, that is a very tactical mm-hmm. example, but that'd be something that you would want to make sure you dictate and say, I need somebody with that skill. Then you give that to the agency and the agency says, okay, here's the people that I'm going to put in place and here's their credentials for why that they're going to be put in place in order to work on your team. And this person it, you know, knows TikTok. This person's an expert in TikTok, right? So then you can kind of compare to make sure if they're suitable or not. And then you can have that conversation um, in making sure that your team is going to be the right team in order to pursue the work. Yes, I mean, and I said this one is true, and and I'll cop to all the <laughs> all the truths throughout this. But this is a place where I believe agencies really can do a better job. And what I mean when I say that is what Anne just said is exactly true. If you have a young person just out of school and you're working on a social strategy, in a lot of ways, they probably are the right person to work mm-hmm. on that business. However, because and there's a lot of reasons for this. Egos, agencies spread their teams too thin. They assign them to too many things. They make them manage too many people. That is right. They're on too many businesses with unique needs and can't focus on you know each one. Whatever it is, that young player gets left high and dry and the client feels that versus putting them with a tenured person on the team allowing them to lead the work, which is a great opportunity, and they likely know more about that channel mm-hmm. than that that lead person ever could, but they get the oversight. And then not only do they learn and grow, but the client gets, to Anne's point, exactly what they need at the ticket they need it. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of that, I think the other thing that happens from a resourcing perspective is that you get something in the door that you're really excited about or the management's really excited about, and then you overextend and have too many resources on it when it isn't and likely never is going to be the big ticket you think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And then other clients suffer as a result of that. So there's lots of different reasons why this happens. But I think this point is really good and and quite true. Um, The other thing is you don't get to pitch business until you've shown that you have the chops within the agency. So that's the other piece of it is you don't often see the young team members because agencies think that that shows weakness. And as you move up, you pitch more, which means you're less involved in the work on a day-to-day basis. So all of those insights there. But on the other side, obviously, there is some ownership to be had on the side of the client. And I'll, I'll pick on P&G again here just because it's low-hanging fruit for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, making friends all over the place. Um, but anyway... You know, one of the agencies I worked for in town, we had a pretty good book of P&G business. And so what that unfortunately means is when there's an organizational shift at Proctor, it impacts a lot of your business at the same time. And so I remember when there were layoffs, they were going through consolidation and like certain levels of people would just be let go. On all of our businesses, we would end up in the same position, which is we would have a junior brand manager who would just kind of be left holding the bag, which is a terrible position for that person, but also an equally terrible position for the agency, because then we would be not only doing the work, but teaching that person how to do the work and also how to do their job. Because in a lot of cases, we had more experience on their business, as crazy Mm -hmm. as that sounds, than that person that was in the position did. And so we would be really inefficient. We'd overspend time and you know, bless the the agencies that really try to make this fun, right? And we'd be like, all right, we'll go to happy hour with you and we'll walk you through this thing or, you know, try to make it enjoyable for our all parties involved. But that just sucks. That's a terrible position to be in. And then the other thing that I think can happen is you get excited if you're referred to a different area of the business. But especially in major organizations, a lot of it is contingent on the actual team you're working with. And so you might be super excited, like, oh, yeah, we work on, you know, this personal care brand under this giant umbrella and they're the best. And that was usually not the case for me with Proctor, but in other client instances. Um, yes, now we're on to, you know, their baby care. And then you get to the baby care team and you're like, what 
is this? Who are these people? And so I think, unfortunately, agencies, you get really excited, right? You get excited about the brand name. You get excited about the size of the client. You think about like, oh, that's going to be my package, commercial, whatever out in the world. And there's not as much discipline as there probably should be around vetting the actual people you're going to be working with day to day, not only the business you're going to be working on. Yeah, I think that's really, really fair to say, too, because I even remember working on my the NFL uh, program as part of Tide. And it was always the one that they gave a new ABM that's mm-hmm. just coming in, like, because it's fun and yeah. it's exciting, but we never were able to get the traction we needed to because we were constantly onboarding a new ABM who yeah. had new ideas. And then, you know, for the NFL, you have to plan the year before yep. in Absolutely. order to be able to meet it. And so, if you're constantly onboarding a new ABM, you can't get the, the the process going in a way that is conducive to planning a year ahead. And so we were always behind the eight ball. And then everybody's like, well, how come this program's not working? It's like, because we've had four ABMs on this uh, program in the last year and a half, right? So I think that's a very fair point to say is that don't bait and switch on the other side too and yep. say, hey, you're going to have this whole full team and we're going to have full core press against this. And then all of a sudden, agency shows up with everybody that they need and you have ABM and your community communications lead who are at the helm there. So um, I think that's a really important point. Or my other favorite, the bosses in the pitch on the client side, and they're like, you have full access to me anytime, day or night. And then even their own team can't get a hold of that. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It totally happens. All right. The third point for successfully vetting a marketing agency is ask for case studies that are representative of the type of work you desire and ask for business results. Now, this is really, really important. You want to make sure the agency has a competency or people that work there have a competency in order to do the work that you want them to go to. Mm -hmm. This seems very obvious, but I will tell you, a lot of agencies will exaggerate their capabilities in order to get your business. It happens a lot. And it's happened even to me recently, and I'm going to tell this story later, in the context of vetting agencies for other clients since um, we've been out on our own. And what happens here is this leads to really underwhelming results, without a doubt. So, for example, if you're wanting influencers to evangelize your marketing campaign, the agency should be able to articulate their experience with planning and executing influencer campaigns. To April's point before, it may not be an influencer campaign exactly in your industry. It may be the fact that somebody that they have has done influencer campaigns before for even another agency that they worked with. All that could be just fine. But if they were just like, oh, yeah, you know, we can do that. Not a problem. We have a bunch of really talented people. Like you want to have the actual specifics. Okay. And when they share case studies and look deeper than just the KPIs, they share to see if the work actually delivers on the intangibles you'll need for your work. For example, because I worked on big established brands, it's really important that the agency was very creative in a way they build emotional connections. That's what we call brand love. We've talked about this a lot. What we tend to find is that a lot of agencies were very much like kind of towed the line and they would articulate the the product benefits, but they weren't really doing the big creative work in order to understand how to actually develop those love connections, which is really was key to building household penetration. So when I was looking at work, I was looking to see, hey, were they finding those nuances or those insights for other brands that was allowing them to extend beyond whatever the claims were or the benefits were in order to transcend and create those human connections? That's what I was looking for when they were giving me the examples of their work, right? So I'm not just looking to see, hey, does this matchy matchy? Is there, you know, are they doing exactly the same thing? Is it very impressive? Because I can also tell you when they go through their results, they are going to inflate their results. <laughs> I mean, it just happens, especially my favorite in doing PR agencies it was impression. So impressions are, you know, the eyeballs that you count that are associated with who is actually seeing the content that you're putting out there or whatever kind of social is being done. Any of that, it counted as impressions. And I'd see these big inflated numbers and I'd be like, well, how did you get those? Oh, we, we can't tell you. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean you can't tell me? I mean, I can go and I can Google search it or you can like just let me know. And usually nine times out of 10 is because they did a press release that they counted a bunch of impressions for, but the impressions weren't impactful impressions, right? So they weren't willing to tell me that. That's a huge red flag. And then also and when I asked them, I'm like, hey, how did this work impact the business of your client? This one you're looking for or you're hearing, listening for what they say as much as 
like how they say it, right? So what they're probably going to say is, I can't tell you, the numbers are, you know, private to the client, totally legit. The how they say it, though, is like, do they use that as a cop out and say, and then that's where the conversation ends? Or do they say something like, oh, yes, I mean, I can't tell you like the details because those numbers are proprietary to our client, but I can tell you we were able to drive engagement. Engagement's a big driver of their growth. So we know we were able to move the needle and they asked us to do more work. So those are the things you're listening for and being able to kind of contextualize. Do they understand? Are they taking the time to know their client's business in a way that they're going to be able to think like you need them to think as a result of doing your business? Yes, all of that. And like I've said throughout so far, a lot of what you're saying is true. But then there's also the other side of the coin, which is what I will talk a little bit about here. And that is that... Sometimes the asks, especially when it comes to KPIs, are quite frankly unfair to the agency. And what I mean by that is not where they're inflating or they're making up numbers or any of those kinds of things. But there are situations where the work is done with the agency and then there's either a few different things. One is a lot of different things go in to get to the number And so it's hard to kind of like pull out what your impact was within that. Mm -hmm. Number two, sometimes, quite frankly, the client just will not tell you. And there are certain things that you can definitely look up and, you know, you can Google and you can kind of deduce yourself. But sometimes they just won't share that with you. And then other times there are things that aren't even yet haven't been in market enough associated. And that I think is a lot of times the world we're in now, right? Where it like hasn't lived long enough or it's brand new or it's a new type of campaign out there or whatever. And so the part of this that I like and that I think is very right on is definitely ask for the case studies and then that listening for the way that they're talking about it. Because at the end of the day, the numbers kind of don't matter. And I say that knowing that we love KPIs, right? But they don't matter if they're just a number. That's correct. If you're, if it's just like Ian said with the impression thing, which is always one of her favorites, which I find funny because even I, not in that space, would read those numbers and be like, what? No way. <laughs> anyway, side note. But what I do think is important and this has happened to me many times over my career is you want those case studies because of a lot of the things we've already talked about. You want to make sure that the the company has the chops to do it. You want to make sure that you have the people that can do the work in the room. And those things come mm-hmm. from listening to how they speak to the case study. So a really specific example for me was um, we had a, a pitch and I was doing exactly what we're talking about here. We brought a case study that was in a similar space. It was healthcare related, but we had no experience in the side of healthcare that we were pitching in. And we were very clear about that up front. And they said, that's fine. We just want to understand what type of work we get. And so if you have something adjacent, cool, which was great. But then when we got into the case study, and thank goodness I was actually the one who led the example we were talking about. Otherwise, we would have been dead in the water. I mean, that CEO went at me for a solid 30 minutes and was nitpicking everything from like the famous references that we had for brand personality for the pillars of each of the different types of care that were associated with this account. I mean, he was brutal. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the conversation, he was like, you get the work. And it was because of that exact ability to take the case study and be able to not only communicate that this is the work we do and this is how we do it and we stand by it, this is the process, you can now see it, but also that I and the team were capable of thinking on the fly to be able to engage that level of conversation. And so being put through the ringer was a very real thing, but it was all based on this case study example. And I think that that is the exact right way to do it when you're vetting, whether you're on the client or the agency side. And on the agency side, this is another place where I think sometimes because we're on the vendor side of things, we think we can't do this. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that that's wrong. And that's not the approach, quite frankly, that Ann and I take because I was tired of it by the time I left. We are not at the mercy of whoever happens to be on the other side of the client. And so case studies on their end, too, allow you to see how they treat their agencies. Mm-hmm. And if they can walk through, not just give the lip service to, oh, yeah, you know, we do this work all the time. So we have X, Y and Z person who will be your resource. No, no, no. You, Anne, how did you actually do this, right? How did this actually work? And and then you can listen to them and you know whether they're telling the truth about whether they're hand in hand with the agency and whether they've actually done this type of work so they're the right person to be your contact in the organization. All the same rules still apply. Yeah, he was really digging for your the way you think, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was making sure it wasn't arbitrary, yeah. that it had intent, that it was based on insight, uh-huh. um, and that you were going to have substance behind what you did. So, I mean, those all those questions are very much in the intent to, to get to that first point, which is, how do you think? Get, yeah. And it, and to that extent, it didn't matter that you hadn't worked in that area. He would wanted to know how you think how you were thinking yeah. or how you're going to think about it yep. and if that was going to translate to what he thought I was going to get from a work standpoint. Yeah. I mean, to my previous point about pitching business only when you were tenured enough, I can't tell you how many times I would be on the car ride to whatever prospect, having never worked on any of the case studies in the deck and just be being fed like this is how we want you to talk about it. Right. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. that is a reality. Yeah, it certainly is. All right, the fourth point for how to successfully vet a marketing agency is to make sure the agency commits to budget, (laughs) timing, and scope via signed-off proposal. Same goes for you guys. (laughs) You'll get your moment in a second. The point is well taken. This is so critically (laughs) important because it is your contract. So for both sides, it is your contract. And it's the only leverage actually each side really has yep. in the conversation of what are you doing? What am I doing? How much does it cost? How long is it going to take? Now, what I have learned on my side is that if you're lazy on the client side, an agency is really good at leveraging all of the ambiguity against you. Mm-hmm. There we are. I mean, yeah. we are. We're masters at that. Masters. I mean, absolute masters to the point where like, I had to draft very specific if-then statements <laughs> in order to make sure I didn't get, like, you know, totally, like, drawn down that ad. And it's not in an intent to be sneaky or no. manipulative, but it is to protect them from the fact that one, you know— I mean, clients can change their minds. Oh, yes. Clients can try to extend scope. Clients change out. New ones come in. Yep. I mean, a lot of that happens. And so, you know, you can't plan for everything. So you try to plan for contingency through ambiguity. But what generally happens is that there ends up being a lot of redo or wasted time and money. And then you get like this, like, again, this bad vibe between both agency and client that they're being taken advantage of. Right. So you want to make sure that your contract, your your scope, your proposal is very, very clear on the deliverables. This is like really important, guys, because this is really what, at the end of the day, you're getting in exchange for the money that you're giving your agency. So their compensation should actually be based on the delivery of the quality deliverables as well. Even April and I and forthright people, when even we're giving a proposal, we've learned this and we, because we're forthright and very transparent, when we assign the billing structure, our billing structure is assigned based on deliverables, Yep, not just arbitrary timeframes, okay? It helps to really instill trust um, with your clients um, and as a client with your agency. Now, if you don't understand any of the terms, any of the words, anything that, you know, you might be getting, because either side could propose this um, proposal or the contract, make sure you ask for a clarity and then make sure the points of clarity are incorporated. So don't take it in a tacit handshake. Well, of course, we're going to let you, you know, have a third round of revisions if it's like on us that, you know, we didn't do it right. Well, how many times do you think it was on us that they didn't do it right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, wait a second. Okay. So I wonder what conditions do I get a third round that I don't have to pay for? That is what then gets put into the contract or the terms, right? And then make sure it's signed. I mean, a lot of times we forget about that part too because it feels like a formality. Make sure it is signed. Make them sign it. Make Everybody needs to have skin in the game. Everybody has to be taking responsibility for their parts. That only happens if it's signed. Yes. And and this one, I'm going to give a little less in this <laughs> in this particular point, because I, I honestly think that both sides are usually equally guilty. And it depends always on 
the type of people you have working at each place, quite frankly. And yes, there are really specific things you can do, like not being lazy, making sure things are signed, making sure things are spelled out, all of that stuff. But there's the expression that what contracts are made to be broken. I mean, <laughs> I, kind of, I don't live by that one. It, but I mean, <laughs> what, the, what I think that implies is right, which is no matter what, this type of work is a gray area, right? You're not you're not delivering 600 pairs of gym shoes at the end of the day, right? Like there isn't like the same tangibility, if that's even a word, yes. to what we're doing. And so I think it can get really tit for tat really quickly. And a specific one that I'll latch on to is the two rounds of revisions, right? So that's in there because how many times has an agency gotten burned with you know, death by a thousand cuts. Right. And so we're on round 36 and we have no way to be successful anymore because we're so far gone from where we started. And I will say that the best relationships are the ones that honor the budget, the time and the scope. And I'll give a recent example from us. And I so appreciated this. And it's one of our clients in full transparency. She and I have been friends for a lot of years. So in a lot of ways, maybe it's not totally fair. But she had a lot of pressure on this specific project. We were turning it really fast. And I had spelled out two rounds of revisions. And so we decided we were going to only do one of the four as an example instead of rolling out four versions of two different concepts, right? So we did that. And then she wanted to show it to her board. And she came back and she said, um, all right, here's the changes, but I'll just go with this one because I know we only get two rounds of revisions and I'm sure there's going to be more feedback. And so this is good enough for now. And I talked to the designer and they were not major things, right? And I was like, let's just set her up for success. If this is going to be the kind of stuff that we're dealing with, this doesn't really count as a round of revisions. Mm -hmm. But if she had been a PIA, right, like I wouldn't have done that, right? But that is an example of respecting and honoring their relationship. Again, we've known each other for so long and this was, you know, in both of our career spectrum, this is probably a small thing. But I was just so grateful for that approach. And that's my example just to to share here. And I think the way to make sure to manage this is, number one, you have to have reasonable people that respect each other. I really do believe that. But outside of that, you can't be afraid to have the conversations in real time as they're happening. And we talk about that a lot on the show in total, but it's really true when it comes to this stuff. And, and I think what happens is people get really uncomfortable, right? No one likes to talk about money. No one likes to talk about blame. No one mm -hmm. wants to talk about failure when they didn't meet deliverables. And so things can snowball really quickly. And so one of the biggest clients that we had at the last agency I was at, we mandated that we did um, budget check-ins twice a month. And it was for a few reasons. One um, is a financial corporation, so we really had to be on our toes <laughs> in that instance. But number two, it made sure that we were all on the same page. And this was at a point where the relationship had doubled in size. We were bringing in a lot of new services we hadn't done before. They were trying out things that they hadn't done before. And so it was new territory in a lot of ways. But we knew that if we didn't keep track of stuff, it could go sideways really fast. And so... The mid-month check-in was really just a report. This is where we are. This is percentage completion on this project. This is how much budget we believe we have left. This is how much stuff we have left to do. If there were any red flags on that, we literally red flagged it. This one's going really slow or this one, you know, that kind of thing. But it was more of like a billing and time report than a deliverables report because that was really important to both sides to make sure that neither one was getting screwed, quite mm -hmm. frankly. And then the end of the month one was when we actually sat down for an hour and we prepared the report again of where we were. And this was not, again, a status. They got their status sheet every week. It was more... This is where we are. This is where we ended up. This is the budget. Very specifically, this is what's been spent. And then this is what we believe we need to go do or client we need you to say yes or no to moving forward with this. And in some ways, 
the budget was fairly nebulous in certain areas where we were talking about trying new things. But this approach worked out really nicely because we all committed to making sure that the conversation happened. And then it didn't get so heated when at the end of the Mm -hmm. quarter, right, they realized they had spent their budget for the year. Over-exaggeration, whatever, but I've seen that happen before. And then you just send them a bill and it's like, well, wait a minute. No one ever told me that this is where we are. So that's why I give the pushback. And I, I really do think that there are some fantastic examples of fantastic people out there that really respect this and believe in it. And then there are some that just are trying to get whatever they can get. And depending on what you end up with is kind of where the situation goes. Yeah, and I think you brought up two really good points I want to emphasize. And one is that money is the quickest way to destroying a relationship. Oh, absolutely. Any relationship. Any relationship. And uh, and for sure, in a client agency relationship, too. And so it's really important. Like, I love that example you gave about the budget because there's an element of respect there and Mm -hmm. transparency. Mm -hmm. And that had to be agreed upon in going to the table that, like, we're going to preserve our relationship. And so we're going to put these things in place in order to make sure that we are on the same page and we continue to be on the same page so that, you know, somebody's not feeling manipulated or taken yep. advantage of because, yes, I mean, money destroys relationships faster than anything. And I also think it's really important, and, you know, we practice this too, is that if you are going to deviate, that you provide the rationale for why you're deviating, yes. right? So it doesn't become like, well, you did it before. Why won't you do it this time? Well, if you need to set up why you did it before and why you're not doing it this time and not at the next time, at the first time, mm-hmm. right? So that mm-hmm. people understand, well, okay, I get it. Like you would have you know, told um, the client, we're, we're going to do this for you because it's a couple of small changes. We appreciate the fact that it's more than a second round of revisions. Anything going forward, you know, you know, we're going to, um, you know, have to charge for it. But since these are small things, we're, we're willing to do that, you know. And that's not necessarily something you do every time, but mm-hmm. it is something that you can do in order to show good faith that you are in this as a relationship because relationships get more work. Yep. Transactional, like you do this, I do this, I give you money. It it doesn't generally develop into a relationship that gives you more work. So you have to think about the relationship as much as you're thinking about the compensation that you're getting and making sure that you're balanced and you're not just thinking short term and that sacrifices the long term. Yep. All right. So just to summarize how successfully to vet a marketing agency Be more concerned with how they work versus who they've worked with. That means being more concerned with process and style than dazzled with their client roster. Make sure they clearly identify a team and ask for credentials. Watch for the bait and switch. Ask for case studies that are representative of the type of work you desire and ask for business results. So make sure they do the work you are hiring them for and be wary if they balk when asking for business results. And make sure the agency commits to budget, timing, and scope via a signed-off proposal. And a sign-up proposal will be your best friend. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right. Our next section is the end of trenches where we give real world examples specific to industries and situations, but they should have broad applications. So any business should be able to internalize these. And we actually have some very direct ones in order to get to that. The first end of trenches, does this work for other types of agencies? And the answer is yes. The principles are largely the same. Your questions and criteria might just be a little different. Remember what me and April said at the very beginning, or we say it a lot, and I said at the very beginning, is that your branding and marketing is a philosophy. It doesn't really matter the industry of which you apply it. The philosophy is the same. How you cater to that industry changes a little bit, and what you may do changes a little bit. This is the same thing here. These principles are very much transferable no matter what agency you want to vet in order to do business for you, um, whether it's a service-based industry like you know, if you're hiring for human resources, if you're hiring bookkeepers and accountants, whatever you're hiring for, these are the same things that you want to look for. Now, interestingly, the, the principles are also the same if you're hiring a consultant, a freelancer, or anyone else that's going to work for you, right, too. So again, you're going to apply the same philosophy because 
those things are critical no matter who you're hiring in order to do work for you. Yeah, and I'll just give two overall pieces of advice here. If it sounds too good to be true, probably is. Yeah, probably is. It's totally right. And if you feel in your gut that it is or is not the right fit, you're probably right. I think we've given you the right vetting strategy, but the thing that that vetting strategy is going to do for you is prove out those two things I just said, one way or another. Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. All right, our second in the trenches question, how can I be a good client during this process? April, I'll give you a second to have a Unleash me on this. All right. So we've talked a ton about relationships, good and bad, over the course of this episode so far. And I would just reiterate that point here. And I'm not going to say, oh, poor agency, we do nothing wrong and we're so put upon and it's so awful to be on the end of that. But there are very real situations where that does happen and where the agency is put down and treated just horribly for the sake of nothing, really, and Mm -hmm. not because they deserve it. And that's really the part that makes me really angry is when I've seen that happen over the years. And that's to my comment about good people and not so good people. Right. But what I would say about the process is. Truly be a part of the team or not, but whether you really want to be in it or you really don't want to be in it as a client, either one is totally fine. Just tell us and then act accordingly. We love actually for clients that really want to be there to be part of the process. And if they don't want to be there and they're not part of the process, that works too. But it's the in-between where it's, well, you said you didn't want to see this until now, and now you're mad? Like, we're trying to honor what you asked for as part of that, right? So be part of the team in whatever way you state you're going to, and then be that part of the team. Don't confuse it. The second one I'll say is collaborate, but don't be trying to catch us all the time. Mm -hmm. And this is another really bad behavior, bad habit, is when someone would be like, you know, I'd really like to come down for a couple of days and see how you do it and be part of it. And it just seems so fun and whatever. And then all of a sudden we would be getting called to the mat because we had too many people working on it, or it sure seemed like we goofed off more than we were working or whatever the things were. And it's like, we let you into our house with mm-hmm. with good intent, right? And now you're coming back and using that against us. That's not fair. And also, it really was hardly ever true. Like, I mean, was there like a five-minute coffee station, whatever? Maybe, probably. But like, or were we joking? Yeah, we're trying to show our personality to this person. But we were on best behavior if those people were in the room. So it just kind of always led us scratching our heads and really made us hesitant to, to bring the client in in that way. Mm-hmm. Then I would say praise where praise is due, feedback where feedback is due. We've talked a lot about transparent and honest conversation. Anne's definitely giving given her perspective on how hard this can be to do, especially when people get their feelings hurt and all of those types of things. But again, going back to the relationship point, people err on both sides, right? Sometimes you get people and everything in between, but sometimes you get people that are praise, 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 praise. And you're like, okay, but like, you're the expert on your business. We need something, right? Something to go off of, something Mm -hmm. to do. Great. You love it all. Cool. Now what? Or the, the constant feedback or nitpick or you didn't hit the mark or that kind of stuff that that's fine if that's true. But if that's always the result, then we kind of lose faith in either side of it. And then I would say also, finally, take care of your agency the way that they take care of you or find a new one if their style isn't working for you. And that's why I like a lot of what Anne set up here, because I think it really does help get at the right way to look for partners because you're doing it through your lens of what you want truly, not just, oh, I have to vet one, I have to hire one, I need to hire one that isn't super good standing, reputation, size, located in New York City, fill in the blank, Mm -hmm. whatever. And then those arbitrary decisions are then put upon the agency when they're not what you had in your head, perception-wise, that they were supposed to be. And again, there are all sides to this, and I have admitted to bad behavior throughout this episode. I'm not saying agencies are perfect, but I will say that they are on the receiving end of some just... I could go on for days about some of the awful situations we were put in. So Yeah, agencies are people too. Yes. Yeah, and we have to remember that because I'm going to add one more onto that. And I think it's don't make your agency the scapegoat yes. for everything. Yep. Um, I think that also tend to happen a lot and it tend to give like a 
big snowball effect after mm-hmm. a while. And that's like, well, you know what? After a while, and these were good agencies, um, after a while, you got to ask, is it me or is it them? Yeah. You know, and a lot of um, back to the early point you were, t- you were saying about PNGers not wanting to be wrong or think they know everything. I mean, which it's a it's an egotistical place to be, but sometimes it's a fear based place to yeah. be too because you don't want to be vulnerable. And it's so much easier to say, "Well, oh, that was just because the agency didn't think about it right, or the agency didn't have the right people on it, or they just not getting what we want the you know what we want to say." And it's like you know what that is a deflection of a. Um, a fault of the person who is actually leading the work. Yep. And I'm going to say that very bluntly and plainly is that if you're not getting really good work from your agency, then it's very likely one of two things. And it could be either one, but either the agency is not the right one for you, like yep. you had said, or you are not setting up your agency right for success. Yep. And you're there and you're just not recognizing that. So I will play the other part that you did for me and I will recognize <laughs> the fact that all these things are very, very legit and I added mine on to that. Awesome. I appreciate that. You're welcome. All right. In the trenches, question number three. Okay. So I've hired my agency. What is the right way to kick off the work? And I think that April and I will, will agree on this one is that you always should start with some sort of onboarding. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so it should be on paper and verbal, just to be very clear. Okay. So don't just like shoot them everything you can think of about everything about your business that has ever been made. Like make sure you are actually putting together in a concise and easily to format brief so that <laughs> your agency can, can digest it and know what kind of good questions to ask. But also take the time to verbally present it to them so that they can get the context and the nuances of your personal experience and may not be as easy to put on paper. (laughs) Okay. So now on the flip side of this, from an agency standpoint, please don't say that you need to know everything about everything that was ever been done about this brand, about this company, and have to talk to everyone that has any association with this whatsoever. I know a lot of times and you can tell me I'm wrong, but I know I'm right, is that um, a lot of times this would happen is because they want the access to the higher-ups, right? Even if it was the, the you know more of the middle managers that were actually going to be the ones leading the work, they're like, well, I need to talk to the director. I'm like, well, why do you need to talk to the director? The director's not going to tell you anything differently than what I'm talking Well, it's good to have their alignment. I'm like, got their alignment. That's why we're going forward. You know, so make sure that you're keeping the focus on what needs to be um, truly focused on um, in order to be able to really like manage the time and the energy of your client, because it is very exhausting to try to pull all these people together. Then it delays it because like you can't get the right people in the room that you want to talk to. And then I, and at the end of the day, what they provided wasn't a value much anyway. Um, So Obviously, if you feel like there is somebody that you should have connection with, you can present that. But if not, um, don't feel like you have to have that kind of access all the time. So I think that's really important that you um, recognize that and, and on both sides recognize that as well. Now, as you're thinking about what to put out into this onboarding, think about um, target consumer and customer business objectives, background on the business, the product, the tech, whatever is you know the, the focus of the work. What does success look like? This is really, really important so everybody knows <laughs> what, what that looks like at the end of the day so they can all be aligned. Um, make sure that you actually meet the team that you'll be working with on both sides. Again, it doesn't need to be the full extent of everybody's going to be touching the work, but your core team that you're going to be engaging with on a day-to-day. And really talk about how you will work together. So what's the engagement look like? Who's going to be the what called the SPOC, the single point of contact, how frequently are you going to meet? Like if it was like, you know, in your budget conversation, are you going to review budget on a bi-monthly basis or twice a month? Um, how often are you going to get status? And then you're also going to want to make sure that all those things are finalized. Make sure your scope is finalized. Make sure your budget is finalized and make sure that timing is finalized. Yes. And I think what happens here happens for a couple of different reasons. And one side has to do with confidence or lack thereof. And one side has to do with savviness or lack thereof. And what I mean by that is I think that in either instance, whether it's I really don't know how to do this work, but I know we have a process (laughs) or it's I've done this a bunch of times. And so this is the way we've always done it. So this is how I'm going to continue to do it, which is a lack of savviness. Right. There are constantly 
ways where I feel like this is a one size fits all approach versus a customized approach. And I would just say a good rule of thumb is make whatever the onboarding or topics are based on the magnitude and impact of the project. Mm -hmm. And so I have always said there are inputs you need from certain places and outlined a lot of them right here, right? So you need information based on each of these in order to be successful. That is 1000% true. But to the point of not needing every single piece of information or even anything close to that versus when you have the bigger projects and you do need more of it, you've got to be able to manage that and balance that depending on the assignment. And I think, unfortunately, the confidence piece is, well, they know more than me, client. And so if I don't have all that mm-hmm. information, I'm always going to be behind and I'm not going to be able to get there. And my perspective on that is actually you, client, know more about your business than I could ever know or want to know. And that's not actually my job. My job is to hear what you're saying and strategically and creatively put it together in a new package based on the breadth of experience I have outside of your walls. Yep. And then on the savviness side of things, I think to my point about what you do for each individual client and the reason it's not one size fits all is, again, you need the inputs from the different buckets, right? But if you're actually listening when the client is briefing you and telling you what they need and all of that, you should be able to quickly put that list together. And so a really specific example for Anne and me is rule of thumb is depending on the audience, we need one or two people from each audience, right? So that very quickly gets you to a number of stakeholders you need to talk to, right? So it could be a dozen. It could be one. Yeah. Right. But you don't just blanket state. I need to talk to six to eight stakeholders in all instances. Right. I've seen stuff like that before. And so I think that's where it really makes it muddy. And you start to ask the why as a client. Why do you need to? You can't say back to the client because that's the way we do it. (laughs) You have to like actually give them the reason. And then also outside of that, you have to have the flexibility. So again, really listening to the client. Right. So We've had instances, fourth rate people even, I've had this a lot over the years, where we'll be like, we really prefer to do executive interviews. Okay, so you said that there are four different departments participating in this. Yes. Okay, so can we just get one person from each of those? Well, actually, we just did interviews for another initiative. I can get you the readout of that. And I feel like the agency response a lot of times is like, we'd rather talk to them ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes a point of contention, where, right? Where it can be like, okay, give us that. And then sometimes what we'll do is be like, okay, but we really need the answers to these three to four questions. Can we just send them an email? Can you get someone from that department to reply, right? So there are tons of ways to be onboarded, tons of ways to get the information you need. Again, if you're really good at this, if you're savvy and you know how to do it and you know what you're looking for, it doesn't matter so much about the process to getting there, how many hours you spend in the onboarding, how many people are in that room. You got to rely on your ability to be able to put all that information information together. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times it's not the right people in the room on the agency side, and then you end up in this situation. Yeah, I think that's really, really good point about scaling your expectations for onboarding based on the work that you're doing. Because obviously, if you're going to come and be a, the AOR of Tide, I mean, like that's going to require right. a much more thorough onboarding. Yes. And that is totally justified versus I'm asking you to do this piece of the work, yeah. you know, and and it's more of a um, desire on the agency side and, and more of a want on the agency side versus a need um, yes. to, in order to be able to be part of that. And but I, think, I don't even know sometimes it's a want. I think it's like a default. Oh, default. I think that's fair, yeah. too. It's like, uh, yeah, like uh, that's kind of how we always did it. I think yeah. I've heard that a gazillion times. Yeah. It's just how we do our process. And I'm like, mm. First of all, I don't have the time to be mm-hmm. able to pull all that together. Um, and if you require that, then we probably need to rethink, you know, the choice here because this was supposed to be, you know, maybe like a quicker turnaround a quick or turn, something like yeah. that. We're giving you an opportunity. Right. We're trying, we're giving, yeah, we're dangling the carrot or whatever for this one tiny thing that's one one hundredth of my budget. Yes, exactly. And I think the other thing is, is that, you know, your, your single point of contact is there for a reason. If they tell you something, believe them. Yes. Like, you know, and that's the other thing. It's like, you know, I always felt like sometimes I was being questioned, well, we'd really like to talk to the brand manager about that. I'm like, you don't need to talk to the brand manager about it. I just told you. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd like to really hear from them. I'm like, why? You think I'm lying? Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, so it's like, well, I mean, I didn't understand the point of, of doing that, except for that they wanted access to the brand manager. But what always happened, and like this happened several times, 
the more perspective you get from people, the more conflicting points of view yep. you get too. Yep. So not those people aren't necessarily as versed in the brief. They also have their own agendas they're running. And so a lot of times the agency would hear what they want to hear and then they would take them like, that wasn't in the brief. Mm-hmm. Well, your director said this. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, director is not the one running the project. I am running the project. I let you talk to the director to get perspective, but the director is not running the project. Mm-hmm. And that was always then in conflict too. So you had to always like then backtrack and you had to go to the director and say, please don't give direction to the agency <laughs> side mm-hmm. of what we have in the brief. Please just reinforce it. So that was more work on my part to have to like then uh, message train all the people that were engaging with the agency to make sure the agency would stay on track and they didn't hear what they wanted to hear and they'd go off and they'd come back and like, I don't even know what this work is. But then on the other side, that actually does come from situations where agency's been burned by that before, right? So I think that's the other piece of well, it, too. Well, then ask the decision maker is, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's the thing, right? So I feel like, again, there's that lack of, like, reason why and transparency and the willing to put that out, willingness to put it out there. Because really what the agency should say to you when you say, you don't need to talk to the director and running the project in the past at this company, here's a situation we've landed ourselves in. It's not anything against you, but this is the fourth time we're in this situation. And every other time, if the director wasn't in the room, this happened, right? And so there should be the ability to have those types of conversations for the relationship. The agency corporate relationship dynamic that exists does not allow for that. I am not trying to say that like doing that would actually have a positive effect in that instance, but it should be able to. That's what I mean. Like versus you reading into it as like, why why would I lie about this? And being someone who's highly capable, right? Well, I also think too, is that, you know, and what you said about what you don't know what's happening behind the doors is exactly right on too. Is like, because I would have these discussions with my agency and they're like, we want to present the work to like your boss at the same time we present mm-hmm. the work to you and I'm like no, no you don't mm-hmm. and they're like yes we do because you filter it too much and then you know all yep. our ideas you, you you filter them out and the ones that we really like that we think are going to really resonate and they they you know we don't ever get to share those I'm like okay yep but I'm you know I, I I'm going to be reacting at the same way you know I you know that I would in a one-on-one meeting with you guys. So if I don't like it, yep. I am I'm going to say, say I don't like it. Yep. I'm going to say I don't support this. Like, like, all right. And I remember nine times out of ten we get in those meetings and they would just get slammed because yep. obviously communications too was already one of those areas that was highly scrutinized, yep. right? And I'm like, yep. I told you guys. Like, you didn't support us. I'm like, I told you I couldn't. I, yep. I told them when I come into this meeting, I'm like, I'm seeing this for the first time, too. So therefore, I have to be able to provide my point of view based on what I think my criteria is. And if I don't like it, I have to say that. Yep. So, I mean, just That's be careful what, I mean. what like you walk. It's broken. Yeah, it's broken in so many ways. I think yes. it's like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the thing is why you have to really develop the really good relationship with your core team so that you can build that trust. You can build because that to me was like, okay, well, I don't trust that I'm, you know, managing this right. Fine. You have to see And that's a fair assessment. Right. On your side. So, yeah. That was a good discussion on that one. That was a lot. Okay. Our fourth in the trenches question. How do I build a truly successful relationship with ongoing success? April. I'll truly let you take successful relationship with ongoing success. Okay. So what have we been talking about in this whole thing, right? Be human. We're all human. We're mm-hmm. human no matter our role in the organization. We're human whether we're agency or corporate, vendor, you know, whatever you want to call us. And so I think starting from that place, no matter what, would just be helpful. I think the debate we just had is because that's not what actually happens, right? And a lot of the phrases I think that have been used today, things like, don't try to catch us, or why do you think I'm lying, right? Like these are the types of things that happen when we don't start from that basis of we're all just people, like could we please just start there? And then that is where the relationship piece should really come in. And if that were to happen, then I think you would get direct and clear communication, but it would be kind. And you would actually build relationships where you could go have fun together instead of forced fun, which I've talked about before and I absolutely hate. And you wouldn't have people trying to trump each other and, you know, on our end, the client saying, I'm the client, so therefore we're blah, blah, blah. You know, there would be that more equal balance, there would be mutual respect, which you brought up before, Anne, and there would be the strong desire to put all that politicking aside and do the right work at the right time for whatever the ask is, because that's what you're supposed to be there and doing. And so I think so so many bad behaviors come out because of all these extraneous things that actually have nothing to do with the 
ask of the work that needs to happen. I think that's right on. And I would just put a bow on that to say that your most important thing that you need to build with your agency is respect. Absolutely. Because respect leads to trust. And then you can have those open debates yep. and people aren't feeling it's like personal. And, you know, you, you keep what happens in the team in the team so that everybody mm-hmm. can feel free to express their points of view. Like all those things are so critically important. Um, we have an episode on that. One of our earlier episodes was one of our more popular episodes about um, agency and client dynamics. Yep. Please listen to that one. I think that one really exemplifies a lot of the points that you just did. Mm-hmm. All right. Our third and final segment is a real world example of a brand who's doing this well or not well. And since me and April are kind of the brands here, so we thought, you know, we're doing we're doing this okay, but you know, we've had some things that go well and some things that not go so well. So we're gonna give a little bit more of a specific example. Um, you know, we've gotten a lot, but I think we can round this out with a specific example. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually gonna do one that didn't go so well. And this is outside of my PNG days. I know I use use a lot of PNG examples. Um, and this was early on in my consultancy um, freelancing world. And I was part of um, the marketing team, if you will, that was hiring a PR agency to do some work for this brand. And I was just newly on this. And so I was like trying to tread very carefully about like not overstepping, not coming in with a heavy hand. And they were already pretty far down the process of hiring this PR agency. Okay. Now... I um, had my criteria, like I always do, um, to vet these agencies. And, you know, I've probably vetted at least 100 agencies in my in my history. So um, consider myself pretty good at this. And I started kind of putting this agency against the test. Now, first of all, I can tell you this agency was not U.S.-based. That already is a big problem because PR uh, relationships are generally very locally based. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the U.S., you know your U.S. media. um, You spend a lot of time understanding U.S. media. If you are not located in the U.S. or you don't have like an affiliate office in the U.S., saying that you can live in a different country and understand that media is just really a no-go because usually your focus is on that media in your actual like area. So that was a big red flag for me. It was like how they're going to get a bunch of like U.S. media to to bite if they don't have those relationships. The other thing is, and I used this example earlier, is that all their case studies were based on a billions of impressions that they delivered, but they would not tell me how they were able to get those impressions. They wouldn't tell me um, what the impact of those impressions were. They, they were the ones who copped out and said, oh, I can't tell you this. That's confidential. And I'm like, it's not confidential. Like you can tell me how you got those impressions. Like I can Google that and find them out and I can try to tally them on my you know, on my own or you could tell me. Um, they wouldn't speak to what kind of impact they had on the businesses. None of that. They were also supposed to be able to do social strategy. That was something we were asking them to do. Oh yeah, we have a, somebody who knows something about that. Well, what did they do? What have they done in the past? Oh, well, you know, and they kind of talked all around it, but never gave any specific examples or any specific work of how they developed social strategy and how they executed social strategy. And when we turned out, they had like a community manager person that has done some social posting before. And that's basically what we got. All right. Red flags all over the place. I raised my hand and said, I would not hire these guys. Um, I don't think that they're going to be conducive to being able to deliver what we need to deliver based on what our objectives are here. And I was overruled. I was told, well, we're far enough down the process. Um, we're going to go with them. I'm like, okay. And it was a disaster, an absolute disaster from day one, because everything that I had red flagged was actually true. And I spent an exorbitant amount of time handholding, fixing the work, doing the work because I didn't know how to do the work. And then actually finding more and additional people to compensate for their lack of um, ability to do what we needed them to do. I was way overextended. It was, yeah, not a really great situation. I was not getting paid for doing all that. So um, this is where I say, and you kind of said it too, April, is like, if it's too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. If somebody who's an expert in the field tells you, I wouldn't do this. You probably should listen to them. So that is an example of a vetting <laughs> process that did not go so well. Yes. And I will talk on the other side, which is vetting a client on whether they are a good fit for the agency. And I will say that just as a preface, this is something, and I, I said it throughout the episode, but I'm going to say it really strongly here. 
hiring or taking on the wrong client can ruin the energy and culture of an agency. Amen. Single-handedly, one single client can do this. And so I am also going to give a not-so-awesome example (laughs) and be really careful about what I say so I don't offend anyone. But a lot of... I think what happens, and we've talked about it here, right, because it's a vendor relationship, the agency feels a lot of times like they have to agree to things because they're on that side or that they Mm -hmm. should take on clients for reasons that have nothing to do with the integrity or the just overall culture of the organization. And so there have been, and this is why I also can't really give give it away, I guess, because it's happened so many times in my past. The demise I've seen and how many times I've seen it at various agencies is because this piece wasn't taken into consideration. And so what I will say about that is the one I have in my head, it seemingly was okay on the surface, right? Seemed like a good opportunity, Mm -hmm. some good brands, fun work, Uh, Creative Scott Wind thought, oh, this is going to be so awesome. Would love to work on this, right? Okay, fine. But what started happening during early conversations and, like Ann said, being the naysayer in the room is not the easy thing, right? Because Mm -hmm. everybody's really, really excited. And there just started to be certain things that weren't adding up and that were just glossed over. And that is always a huge red flag for me, similar to your example, Anne, where you're like, but wait, can we go back to that? Right. And everybody wants to kind of move ahead and be like, oh, good answer. Okay, let's get back to the really cool, fun part about this or what, you know, like which Mm -hmm. brands do we get to work on? All of that sort of thing. And I just never had a good feeling in my gut and I was told a lot of things throughout that process, things like, well, it's not going to be our whole business. It's not going to be even close to our whole business. So how how bad can it be if it actually goes wrong? Or, oh, but this will be so good for our portfolio, for our logo farm to be able to say that we worked on X, Y, and Z. Or we have some new creatives that would be great at this type of work because they're really adept at social and we weren't doing a lot of that, right? And... One of the things that really and truly does drive me nuts and one of the responsibilities I'll take even in this situation on our side is saying we can do stuff we can't do at the agency and taking a lot of liberties with where our expertise is. And that that is a problem. And Mm -hmm. it's because we service so many different clients and you have to be somewhat generalist, but you also have to know what you actually can do well. And I think there's often a rub there. So we signed on, long story short. Within three months, we had had 15 people quit the organization. The client had lost the actual two people that were made it okay to work on the business. And that was the impetus or the starting point, I would say, looking back for a lot of a lot more bad decisions of which clients to bring in, because number one, we'd opened the door and done it. Mm-hmm. And number two, we were reeling when it didn't go well and needed to bring on other business to try to replace. And we lost other clients because so much focus was placed on that client that shouldn't have gotten that focus. Mm-hmm. And I have a specific example because it's easier to tell a story. Right. But I could give an example from almost every single agency I have worked at where this happened to some degree. Mm-hmm. So I would caution the same things as Anne, but just... Uh, being really careful in the vetting process and thinking about the intangibles just as much as the tangibles. And no matter who at that table raises their hand, if it's someone you value as an employee or a member of your team and they're having a real hard time, don't disregard it mm-hmm. because they're right. And I'm not saying that because I was in this instance. There were plenty of other ones where somebody else was. Yeah, that's a really good story. So just to summarize how to successfully vet a marketing agency Be more concerned with how they work versus who they've worked with. So be more concerned with the process and style, that means, than dazzled with their client roster. Make sure they clearly identify a team and ask for credentials. Watch for the bait and switch. Ask for case studies that are representative of this type of work you are desiring and ask for business results. So that means make sure they do the work you are hiring them for and be wary if they balk when asking for business results. 
Make sure the agency commits to budget, timing, and scope via signed-off proposal. And as we've said, a signed-off proposal will be your best friend. With that, let's go exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. Mention you heard about us here, and we will give you a free 30-minute consultation. You can also share any topics you want us to cover, which helps us give real-world support to our listeners in real time. And if you learned something impactful, please share with a friend and don't forget to leave a rating and review on your favorite platform. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.